We're thankful that you're here. My name's Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here and very, very happy to see everybody here. It's good. We're getting, getting more packed. The summer, usually we have a little bit of a lull, but you came to a good Sunday because I hope you have some steel-toed boots on because we are going through Scripture today. We're in a series called No Perfect People Allowed. One thing I like about these kind of series, we'll do some topical series and different things and deal with different things, but in the summer especially, we like to go straight through a book of the Bible. And here's the thing. It forces you to preach on things that you might not necessarily normally preach on. Because as we're going through the scripture, we're just having to follow along. And here's what Paul's dealing with when he's talking to the Corinth. And today is, is considered PG-13. Um, my son is 14. He was here first service and he listened. And then I spanked him afterwards. And so it was all good. We worked out. But I do want to give that little caveat that it's, this is PG-13. Because today we are going to deal with the topic of sex. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is where... Paul talks to the church about sexual immorality and what this looks like. Now, if you're super hyper-religious and you're like, we shouldn't talk about sex in church, let me remind you about something. This letter is actually written to a church in Corinth for them to, be, for them to read it publicly. So we actually should talk about the Bible in church and the things that talk about it. And these aren't supposed to be secret things. Now, in, in the Hebrew culture, you, you're not, you weren't supposed to read the Song of Solomon until you were at least 12 or 13. Uh, and we've done a couple of uh, bouts through the Song of Solomon. Um, but as Paul is saying, hey, you need to talk about this. This is what's happening. Let's address this. So because of the heightened awareness and, and the acts in our society that are very, very sexual. We are in a very, very sexual culture. We can so relate with Corinth. Just to give a quick recap, this was a large, dense, and diverse city, a port city. We've had a lot of trade, so a lot of ideas, a lot of people went in and out, a lot of religions went in and out. There was a temple of Aphrodite that had a thousand priestesses, and you would be able to go to a party or and get invited to something, and they would have an escort or a prostitute for you. In fact, um, if you are a prostitute, it was slang to call prostitutes in that culture a Corinthian girl. Or if you were a, a pervert, you were called a Corinthian. I mean, this is just what it was. And this was the culture that dealt with this. Everything, any, anything imaginable you can think of was happening in that culture the same as what's happening in our culture. And so, and in our world at large. And so, I want to just give this kind of caveat that this is what we're dealing with. If you want further um, instruction or help, we have our CLC starter that G leads with a team of people that do a daily devotional. You can get on our app and get your daily devotional or sign up, get it sent to your email, or you can go to clcstarter.com. And we're going through, our teachers are going through the book of Acts together, so it's a really good Bible study. I want to encourage you to do that throughout this summer. But let me say this. We're going we're gonna to step on some toes. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, because let me say this specifically. We are mostly, and Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. He's talking to church members. He's not talking to people outside the church. He's not talking necessarily to the culture and to the world at large. And church is notorious for yelling at the culture but not dealing with the house. 
and not dealing with those inside. And yet Paul says the opposite. We need to deal with us. And so if you're new here or you're a Tinder, or, uh, not, not on Tinder, a Tinder. Um, and so you can get on Tinder, whatever. But uh, if, if you're new here, faux pas, or an attender, um, or, or a non-Christian, we're thankful you're here. You're getting a little bit of an insight on what we believe, and it might feel offensive or harsh, but not every time we come together are we going to agree with everything that the Bible says necessarily. But the question is, do I adjust to Jesus, or does Jesus adjust to me? And so as a believer, someone who is a believer has confessed, confessed that Jesus is Lord. He is master of my life. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 would say this, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you to do? You ever had a dog that won't do anything you ask it to do? I've got a puppy right now. Every time she gets excited, she pees everywhere. It's super exciting. It's frustrating. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me master? Why do you say I am your God and I am, and I, as you are God, I am your servant, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. He says, no, no, no. I'm not really your Lord then. And so we want to deal with that. And this is what Paul deals with. So hopefully I want to speak the truth in love, but I want to give you some examples in our culture that are somewhat astonishing, somewhat you might go, yeah, um, in our culture of the amount of sexual exploitation and things that happen just statistically. Let me, let me first start off here. We're going to talk about U.S. and Houston. First of all, there are 4,000 strip clubs in U.S., in the U.S. alone. 213 strip clubs in Texas, and then 65 of those are in Houston. We have one of the largest, uh, one of the most strip clubs in a city, not the most per capita, but in a city for sure. And then U.S. strip clubs annual revenue is $3.1 billion. In fact, um, a couple of the lawyers that go to our church here just got done suing a strip club and they went out of business, um, which was really good because they were doing some, some unlawful things. And so we are passionate about taking down darkness where we can, especially when it comes to some of these things because of what's coming out of these. You might say, well, who, who am I to say these persons aren't allowed to do what? But we don't want to exploit women, and we don't want to feed the lusts of men. And so the opportunity to be able to say, this is, this is not good, this is not healthy, this is not right. In a very strong Me Too movement, it's amazing how we still have so much sexual exploitation of women. It's amazing to me. And yet, that's there because we have so many people bound and slaved to their own lusts. And this is a problem. But the church shouldn't just be out there rebuking them and not dealing with ourselves first. And here's what's happening. Also, as you know, if you know about Houston, and we're passionate about fighting human trafficking through our exchange ministry that Holly Zappalak and Sterling uh, love go after and help us lead, and we'll be here in a couple of weeks, Friday night. You should come and help us out. But if you don't know, there are 200 active brothels with two new brothels that open each month just in Houston. 80% of those trafficked are female and half are children. There's an estimated $150 billion worldwide income from human trafficking and roughly $9.5 billion being earned in the U.S. annually alone. You understand that's more than the NFL and the NBA and the MLB combined annual revenue. So to say we have a problem <laughs> is, is the least of worries. And this is something we can call out 
that not just to the church, but to one another, us first. We have to t- deal with it here. If people are struggling and doing these kind of things, we need to deal with it. But also in our culture to say, it is wrong. This is horrible. And this is deplorable. This is a horrible act. And we need to stand against it, pray against it, do everything we can to say slavery, especially this with women and children, is not right. In fact, one of our very own staff members, um, Sasa, she's our, one of our children's directors here. She got to go a couple of weeks ago to Waco to help get involved with a bust of a brothel. And she was there to interpret. She's from China, so she was there to speak Mandarin and interpret for the ladies. And it was just such a sad event because they got caught. They had enough evidence to be able to close down that brothel. But the ladies wouldn't talk. And Sasa was frustrated. Why won't you talk? Why won't you? And, and she found out, if I talk, because this is a hundred and $50 billion industry, my family could be killed or hurt in China. And so this is a horrible act that we need to fight and we need to do everything we can, especially if you're a believer in here, and because Houston is number one human trafficking in the United States. It's happening right below our noses. What can we do? You can find out and get involved. But again, this is a, a, a horrible, horrible thing and a part of our culture that we should, we should really be ashamed of and fight. Can I get any amens? It's going to be quiet today. Jeez, if you can't amen that, I'm really scared. I'm really scared, okay? I don't ask for much solicitation, but good Lord. Now, here's where you go, well, I don't do human trafficking. I get that. I'm not involved in these other things. But here's where the rubber meets the road as well. And when the Bible discusses sexual morality, we talk about this as well. Every second... 28,258 users are watching pornography on the internet. Every second. Every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography on the internet. 372 people every second are typing the word adult into a search engine. You know, 75%, they say statistically, uh, of, of the pornography and, and internet and these searches and these things happen between 9 and 5 during work hours. Every day, 37 pornographic videos are created in the United States. Every day, 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. 116,000 queries related to child pornography are received every day. So quiet. The porn industry generates 13 billion each year just in the U.S. Again, that's more than all the entertainment of NBA, NFL, it's more than all those combined. And to say we don't have some kind of understanding or relatability with Scripture, now that was antiquated 2,000 years ago. Same things. There's nothing new under the sun. And the Scripture speaks to it. We're going to read a 2,000-year-old text and hear and not just go, well, they're not relevant anymore. No, 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 no. The same thing, and yet the church was able to turn it upside down and set people free and change people from the inside out, judging first the church, then out. And Paul has to deal with this. We have this epidemic. If, if you're still going, ah, America's not that bad, we're not that bad, okay. Okay. We've had so many epidemics in our culture, in our world. We've had polio, malaria. And we've been able to cure those with antibiotics or a pill or a shot. It's amazing. The great flu pandemic, if you know anything about this, in 1918 and 1919, killed 30 to 50 million people worldwide. 
675,000 in America, the flu epidemic. And now we have a shot. We have a pill. And yet, none of those are the pill. Isn't that crazy if you think about it? When I say the pill, you immediately go, oh yeah, birth control. Now, I'm not anti-birth control, okay? I'm not saying that. But it's hilarious to me that, no, not the ones that have killed millions of people. The pill, the one that prevents childbirth. I mean, this is how obsessed we are. You know, that one, not, not those, the article, pill. Why? Because we are so obsessed with this concept and with what this is. And see, the Bible, we, we did a whole series on Song of Solomon. You can go back and look at our podcast because the Bible actually says God created sex and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Just like a great greenhouse, things can grow and flourish in the boundaries of the greenhouse and God created sex for boundaries to be amazing and flourish. In fact, I'm pretty passionate about this. I used to speak and do abstinence teaching in high schools all across Texas with thousands of students, also with 12 students in a classroom, which is way harder than thousands of students. I'll tell you that, because you're just like, hey, bro. I mean, it's way harder. And we weren't fear tactic. We weren't even like opening scripture. We merely looked at the stats to show how low the divorce rates are for virgins and those that are not sexually promiscuous, to show that the best sex is happening in healthy and committed marriages. Absolute best. Because sex is more than just physical, it's spiritual. The Bible says you become one with that person, one flesh with that person in that act. It's emotional. It's, of course, mental. There's, men, there's mental things involved with it, with, with your mind involved that affects your whole body. And so for God to say, this is good, just like in creation, this is good, this is good. But sin, because sin merely takes what is good and perverts it, that's what evil is. Just perverted or spoiled goodness. And that's what sin does. It says, eh, it's good, let's take it over here and go too far, go too extreme. And it becomes something evil and something dangerous and something bad. But in our culture where it says, don't, don't tell anybody what to do, don't step on toes, we have to go, no, 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 it's not all bad. Christians that go, don't do this, or they're weird, okay? It's good, but in the right context. And a biblical context is between a man and a woman in a committed marriage. And you know who, I'll preach for a second, you know who gets hurt the worst in uncommitted or cohabitation, just to be honest with you, is the woman. Because women often, not all the time, so I'm not overly stereotyping, but women often use sex to get love, and men use love to get sex. And so who gets used in an environment where we're pretending like we're married without the commitment? The woman does. And it's a man that is using this, and they're playing marriage, but they're not committed, and they're hurting one another. And God says, that's not why I designed it. Just like a guitar up here is not designed to hammer in a nail, it's designed to make beautiful music. You are not designed for certain things that the culture says it's okay to do. And we are not to conform to the culture, but allow the culture to, to be shaped and changed by us like salt into a world, like light into a world. But by fear is and what I, what, I, what, what I see in my own self as well and in others is if you've ever been to a hotel and you have those blackout curtains, you know what I'm talking about, and you shut them as much as you can so that when the sun comes up, you're still asleep and you're just enjoying sleeping in. You don't have kids jumping on you. Is that just me? Okay, and, and so... 
uh, you're enjoying, it's all dark and everything, but if somebody comes in and just opens them, your eyes hurt, you know what I'm talking about? Your eyes are going, oh my gosh, that's so bright. And, and, And it is, why? Because you went from complete darkness to light. But here's what the culture and here's what the enemy wants to do, is take you slowly into darkness where your eyes adjust and you don't even notice it. And you go, oh, what's evil is good, and what's good is evil. It doesn't matter, and you've adjusted completely. And next thing you know, just like in worship earlier when the lights are down and you're looking and then we put the lights up and your eyes can adjust, you just don't even notice it. But when it's from dark to light, which is what we're about to read, it can be a little bit like, whoa. But I'm trying to prepare you because there still is truth spoken in love that Paul is trying to come. And I want you to notice as we read, we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 14. Paul starts this whole thing, I think, with an appeal from a father's heart. A good father cares and disciplines their kids. And if they don't, they are a bad father, an illegitimate father, an abandoning father. Letting your kids do whatever ultimately hurts them in the long run. But a good father, in a right proportionate way of discipline done in love, is the best type of authority figure. And this is how he appeals. Look at what he says. Verse uh, verse 14, chapter 4. We're going to start. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my, look at this, beloved children. For though you have countless guides, or in other words, teachers in Christ, you have all these people that can teach you, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be like me. I'm not a dad that says, don't do what I do. I am am a person, a same person, saying, be like me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk only, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It sounds like a dad, right? It sounds like my dad growing up. So my mom would say, wait until your dad gets home. Anybody else had that? Anybody had that? No? God, we need some discipline in here. Come on. I know some cultures in here had some mean parents. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Billy, it's okay, buddy. No, no, not that, right? Wait till your dad comes home. Some of you had some strong moms like, I don't need dad. (laughs) Don't you ever, ever. Right, I mean, you're fine. And I get that. My mom, like she tried to spank me once, I laughed. And then she told my dad, and I don't remember anything after that, right? So (laughs) my mom just didn't have that harshness to her like that. But man, when she said, wait till your dad gets home. I would go to bed at 5 p.m. Lights out. Anybody know this? I mean, door closed. You're just like, oh, okay. If he thinks I'm asleep, he's going to look at his child. And he's going to go, I will not hurt this kid. Why would I wake him up? What a good kid. He's in bed early. And it worked a few times. A few times it worked. 
And then we'd have a little conversation. I know. But I felt bad. I knew what I did was wrong. And I didn't like it. My dad would say, uh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And at the time, I'm like, that. <laughs> right? No. But now, as a dad, I, I do get this. I hate disciplining my kids. I, I, I don't love I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to ground them. Like, no, that's weird. Like, I can't wait. And the older they get, the different kind of disciplines you've got to give. But you've got to discipline them or you don't really love them. Like you're not protecting them and getting them ready for a world of somebody that's not going to discipline them love but hate them or kill them or destroy them and step on them. And how can they handle it if they've never been disciplined in love? Or maybe even better, they don't even get to that point where they do something stupid because they've been corrected as a child along the way. That's what it means to be a man, to be a father, to be a parent, to be a mom that is not afraid to discipline. In love, there is abuse, but we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because of extreme circumstances. And this is the appeal we have to start. This is the appeal that Paul starts with, I have to discipline you because you're not living rightly and according with your confession and your lordship. Check this out. Let's get into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look what he says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. I'm going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and I'll riff like an electric guitar player. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. You did not know, that, or do you not know, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual and moral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do? to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And all God's people said, ouch. It's harsh. And again, you have to read it in context of a father talking to sons and of a pastor, a shepherd, talking to sheep, not talking to everyone, but talking to the people in his fold, if you will, in the people that claim to be Christians. Now, a couple of basic thoughts, a couple of basic things. Verse 1 says this, 
it is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. This word is kind of a general, kind of junk drawer word. You, everybody has a junk drawer in your kitchen, maybe, that just holds a bunch of things. I know I do. It's, it, it's not just people that are, are doing what he later says they, they did, someone that is uh, literally having intimate relationships with his father's wife, whether that's his stepmom or his real mom. But it's talking about all the gambit, I mean, from human trafficking, sex before marriage, pornography. I mean, the actual word, the Greek word is pornos that he's using. And so this is where we get the word pornography. And so it's talking about the gambit of sexual immorality. So lest we're like, well, I'm not that bad. He's saying, look, don't even let a hint of sexual immorality be among you. Like fight that and help one another and don't boast in it and be arrogant about it because it's not healthy and it's not good. Like a father sitting his kids down and saying, this is how we live and act. And this is why. Not because God's waiting to kill you and harm you, but because God has set this for your good, for your best. So that's the the basic understanding. Everything else outside of a man and a woman committed in marriage sexually is considered a sin in the culture. You might say, well, Jesus never really approached that. Well, Jesus never approached a lot of things, but he was a Jewish rabbi. He was a man of the book, a man of the scriptures. Trust me, this is what he meant when he said, don't even look at a woman lustfully, okay? So scripture, we could combat that easy. You have to understand um, there's no argument based on no evidence. So Jesus never talked about not raping someone, but it was very much understood that he did not like that and not want that. Do you understand that? So there's a lot of things like that that we need to understand. Again, I'm talking to Christians that there are basic things that you say, Jesus is my Lord. And I want to be like him and obey the things that he says as Lord. And so that's when it's dealing with sexual immorality. That's the broad term for it. Uh, Another concept here, and he mentions, this is so crazy, right? He says, there's a kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the pagans. He's like, the temple goddesses and their prostitutes and the porn industry is going, wait, the church is doing what? Ooh, that's nasty, right? And like, they're doing that. He's going, what is, what is up with you guys? This is crazy. Even the pagans think you're nuts, think you're gross. So this is an issue in the church. And he says what it is, for a man has his father's wife, which you read Leviticus 18, I think it's Deuteronomy, I believe about 22, 23, it, it refers to these things. And, he, and here's the biggest problem. It's not that, because again, no one's perfect. It's not that he's going, I can't believe you would do that. Get out of here. Listen, here is the issue. Not that you sin, because we're all going to sin. It's that your heart and your posture is one of arrogance, and hey, I'm good. I can do whatever I want. Don't tell me what to do. That is the antithesis of being a Christian. A Christian comes to God humbly and continues in God humbly. Not arrogant, not prideful. And what they were doing in the culture was tolerating everything. And so they had this ideology between them and in their culture in Corinth that they were boasting in, that two consenting adults are free to do whatever they want. And Paul's going, no, that's that's not accurate for a Christian. That's not accurate for a Christian. And he's not trying to be completely intolerant, but everybody is intolerant to something at some point. He is trying to say, listen, 
if you want to say you are about Jesus and about his life, there is a certain type of life you have to have. And he says this, shouldn't you rather mourn? Shouldn't you be filled with grief? Because here's what they're thinking. I I don't want to judge him or others because if I get onto them and this guy about what he's doing, man, what are people going to get onto me about? So I'd rather just say, hey, it's all good. Jesus loves us all, and we can do whatever we want. And Paul comes in and says, listen, you're being a hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite. And this is not ultimately going to work to help change society in our world. Not only did they have sexual sin, but they would flaunt it publicly. And the question is, what what does the church do about it? If all these sexual activities are unacceptable, then how should a church actually respond when someone in the church is doing it? And that's the rest of the scripture he's going to talk about. Look at this. He he continues in verse 2. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. I think it's easy to read that. And you have this, we have this kind of worldview. Christians are so judgmental. Or maybe you grew up in a church where all you just heard is you're bad, you're sinner, all these kind of things, which is not the full truth. Yes, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in our state. Listen, should not be one of, I need affirmation all the time, but one of repentance. And our affirmation has come from what Christ has done for us. But a response to that is love and obedience, not, oh, cool, I'll do whatever I want. That is not what a Christian is and who a Christian should be. And this is what he is appealing to. And he says this word, I have already pronounced judgment. Here's what he's saying. He said, I'm not even there. And he said, there's certain sins within your church. I don't need to sit down with every person and hear their context and hear what was going on and how it happened to be able to call out and say, this is just wrong. Like, there's no context. There's no conversation where it's like, eh, there are conversations in life and morality. Uh, Romans chapter 14, 15, 16 discusses some of those things that we can converse about and your own convictions. But he says, this, this is just it. I don't even need to be there. I judge it wrong without even having to be there because it's obvious, it's evident. And so that's what he's trying to say. He's not just saying I'm judging everybody. He's saying, saying there's certain things that you do not need an explanation. Just don't do that. You should not do that. We can't have this idea that this nonsensical myth that we always need context and background because it's not true. Relationship helps for sure. But some things are just wrong for a believer. So quiet. First four. Aren't you encouraged? You're like, man, why didn't I go to Lakewood this morning? Um, no, it's all good. I'm just kidding. Verse 4, when, are, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is harsh. This is really harsh. But here's what he's saying. He's not talking about somebody who has messed up. He got called out, and he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. That... Okay? If you're a Christian and you repent, you get the gentle hand, just like he said in, in chapter 4. If you are a person that gets called out for something wrong and you're arrogant and prideful, you're going, no, not do what I want. He's saying, this is not good. This arrogance and pride, he'll explain later, is actually 
what's going to ultimately hurt the whole church like a cancer. James 5, 19 through 20 says this, my brothers, James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. I had a guy at the last church I was at, before I got here, we had a guy. He was, I was raising him up, and I was doing some discipleship with him, and, and I was starting to do premarital um, with him and his girlfriend, who were, um, who, were, who were a great couple. They were leaders in our college ministry. And he, I was starting to raise him up, and he was helping lead worship. Some fantastic guitar player, great singer, awesome guy. And get, you know, started to get to know him a little bit more, a little bit more. One day, we find out someone finally comes from our church and confesses that that guy uh, has been sexting her, um, talking to her, and then they've been having uh, several, several one-night stands. She was married already, and he was engaged. And then not only that, we found out he was texting some of our youth girls and some inappropriate things. So, so uh, listen, if I was in Corinth, I would be like, hey, it's all good, right? We all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. God loves you, but how, listen, that might be nice for him. How horrible is that for the 14-year-old youth girl that he is predator against? Like, we have to think of the whole context, and this is what Paul is referring to. And we had to literally confront him, and, he, and we said, is there anything you need to let us know? And we pushed, and we tried to get repentance and confession out of it, nothing. So we confronted him, and we had text, we had evidence, not just he said she, we had evidence, and he, no crying, nothing, just still, just looking at us, and just mad that he got caught. I made him sit down, because I was doing premarital with him, and I made him sit down, him there, his, his uh, fiance there, and my wife here, and me here, and made him, you tell her what's going on. And he told her, she's devastated, thank God she got out of that relationship, he didn't repent, we had to remove him. Now, I've only seen, I've been in ministry 17 years, full time, fully paid, only done it one time. Had to do it like that. Because other times people have repented and we help them because the church is not trying to be harsh. We're trying to be helpful and we're trying to heal you. Because that's what we do. We don't just placate to everything and everybody all the time because there's things destructive to you and me and us. And if we don't have power, as Paul said, and an answer, who does? And yet sometimes that answer can feel harsh. No one loves discipline at the time, and yet it's ultimately for our good and for the good of our church. Look at verse 6. He says this, your boasting is not good. Again, you're boasting in how great and how tolerant you are, and yet you're hurting people. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Okay, this is a little yeast in bread. It, it fills the bread up, but unleavened bread, it kind of keeps it flat. He said, but if you have just a teeny tiny bit of yeast, it's like a cancer. If you have just a little bit of cancer in your body, you don't go, ah, oh, it's good, no big deal. You go in and cut it out. You take care of it. You do whatever you can. And this is what he's saying. Sin like this, un, and I would say unrepentant sin, habitual sin, not we're all going to sin. Okay, don't hear what I'm not saying. No one's perfect. That's the whole series. But unrepentant, habitual Habitual, arrogant, boastful sin will get into every single person if you allow it. And this is what he's trying to say. So, for instance, let's say, for instance, this is hypothetical, this is not true, but we have an elder that, 
that, you know, gets up here and, and, you know, he's got his wife and they're swinging on the side and he's got his girlfriend. He's telling us about it. And then he wants to go and try to sit down with a young couple and give them marriage advice. Run. <laughs> right? This is not helpful. Why? Because what would happen is they go, well, he's a leader. And if he's a leader, that means he has something in him that is powerful and that is good and that is, that is recognized at the church at large. And so, oh, that's what you're doing? Well, I can do that. I've had premarital sessions where I had a virgin man and a, a, a girl that, that had lost her virginity, but just one time to one guy, and they were saving themselves for marriage. And I'm talking to them, and they're asking about sex. And, and the guy's like, okay, I've never had sex before, so is it okay for us to like watch pornography together? And I said, no. And you say, well, why? Like, it helps getting, listen, what helps more is let's pray together and let's build trust together and let's have a godly relationship because that person is going to trust you and love you and, and feel safe and secure with you, not try to be like someone else that I'm seeing and ultimately getting addicted to potentially. So these are the kind of things we have to come in and correct and help people, but we can't just be people that go, ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal because it is a big deal. Okay, everybody's mad. Here we go. <laughs> he continues. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Verse 8, let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Look at what he says, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And we all said, okay, God, that's harsh. I'm so glad he clarifies this in Scripture. Not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. He's saying, listen, do not go to work this Monday. And you've got a friend that is, 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 you know they're in adultery or, or doing something outside of the boundaries of Christianity. You're like, oh, I can't associate with you anymore. And I rebuke you, Satan. Again, this is the problem of the church. The church loves to yell at the world and placate to our brothers. Hey, it's all good. We're all, just grace abounds, grace abounds. Instead of the opposite, I'm going to correct you because I love you, and we're trying to be like Jesus. Let's go together, and you correct me. You help me. I have eye boogers. You have eye boogers. Let's get them out. Let's take care of each other. Let's, let's help each other. No, no, and then, then we have something to take to the world, and the world goes, man, y'all are doing something different. And y'all's love and grace and giving to one another and everything that is happening, like, I want that. Instead, the world looks down and goes, why would I want what you have? You got just like what I have. So it must mean no one can get healed of anything, and I just accept myself for who I am. Because, baby, I was born this way. And we would say, You were born that way, and so was I. We were all born into sin, and we need a Savior. It's true. That's why we need Jesus. Not to be better, so now, oh, now I'm all better, but I need a savior, man. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody with power to come in and change me from the inside out because I'm destructive in and of myself and by myself. And religion doesn't help me. It just makes me feel like I'm doing better, but it's worse. I need Jesus, not just rules. And I need a Lord that I can go to. And he says this, not you would have to leave the world. You need to befriend those people that are not Christians, that are struggling with them. Befriend them. Love them. That's what Jesus did. He, was, he loved. He hung out with drunkards and prostitutes. He loved them. But when it comes to somebody that confesses Jesus as Lord, 
you need to discipline and correct them and help them, encourage them, push them. Men in here, we need to correct one another. We need some fathers, not just teachers. He says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an adulterer, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Listen, let me stop. Again, he's not saying if anybody has struggled or has sinned. Listen, he's talking about habitual, unrepentant sin. He's not talking about us falling and needing help getting up. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church? Listen to this, whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Look at this. He says, we don't judge outside. God takes care of that. He says, listen, but you are called to judge people in the church. Let me me see. When you signed up for church membership, you, you signed up for prayer, for care, for help, to use your gifts, your spiritual gifts, your natural gifts. But listen, you also signed up. Judge me. Correct me. Help me. Push me. Like a coach with a football team that doesn't go, ah, you can run if you want, but goes, come on, we're going somewhere. We're doing something. That's what the church is supposed to be. Not a social club, not a country club where we just take your money. I don't want your money. I want you to give your life to Jesus. And then he'll get whatever you have. That's what we're passionate about. And I'm not going to push you to be like me or be, wear what I wear. I'm going to push you to be like Jesus, love and serve him. And that's what we're passionate about here. Now, you might say, how in the world, do, wait, 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 because every, everybody I know, everybody who's never even, every atheist knows the scripture, don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge. Matthew 7, Jesus said, don't judge. Okay, context is important. Jesus says this, because seven verses later, he says, he says, uh, beware, be weary of someone who is dressed in sheep's clothing that is a wolf. So that's a judgment call, by the way. So he's not saying don't judge anybody. He's saying don't judge hypocritically or prematurely. And this is what he means. I've got a big log in my eye and I go up to Robert and I go, hey, bro, let me get that speck of dust out of your eye. And he's going, bro, look at you. Right? That's what he's talking about. Don't do that. If, I'm, if, I'm, if I have three girlfriends on the side, I'm not going to go up to him and say, bro, you and Gabby, y'all need to love each other more. <laughs> Why? I got this big log. But listen, if I've, if I've taken care of that log and repented and go to him and say, hey, bro, you got some dust and that can hurt. I know I used to have a log. Now you're helping. And you're judging righteously, not prematurely, not hypocritically. Take care of yourself and then help others take care of themselves. This is what he's saying. And this is what Paul's saying. This is, this is how we judge. This is how we help one another. Because our judgment is righteous. Let me give a couple of objections as we close. Because I know some of you might be thinking, especially if you're an unbeliever outside, you're like, I knew it. Church is just full of all these people. You're right. You're right. It is in the church. And some of you have been beat up by some of this stuff so much because it wasn't sandwiched with the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ. That's not who we are. And I want you to hear that. You might have this objection. Man, this sounds like discrimination. Like purge this guy, get rid of him. And I would say it is discrimination. 
You say, gosh, I knew the church is just discriminatory. Okay, after service today, go to any restaurant in Houston and just smoke. Guess what's going to happen? Excuse me, sir, ma'am, could you leave? No, man, I like smoking. This is my life. Uh, 25 feet from the building, please. The rest of our patron. That's called discrimination, right? If, if you're a sexual predator and you have a, you're on a list and you go, I want to be an elementary school teacher, it's probably not happening. It's called discrimination. But those are good things. Don't bulk everything in the same mentality. And for us, if we're going to say, you're a Christian, you're a member of our church, we say you know Jesus, I'm going to say, well, let's go together, and I'm going to help you. That's the proper way to do it. Don't, you say, well, this discrimination is so wrong. Okay, go drink and drive, see what happens. Well, I wanted to drink. You can. Well, don't really do that, hypothetically. Don't really do that. I say another, another objection, people say, well, I could go to just, fine, forget this. I'm going to go to another church. They accept all alternative lifestyles and I'll do what I want. And I say, hey, I'm not talking about unbelievers. I want you to know Jesus and fall in love with Jesus and let that love create the passion and desire to serve him, not the other way around. But let me tell you this, the most alternative lifestyle in our culture today, if you really want to be alternative, you don't do whatever you want. You don't go out and have sex with as many people as possible. And you know what? I could just do whatever I want. That ain't an alternative. The people that are most rebellious, like people that used to get tattoos, you're like, oh my gosh, not everybody has a tattoo. Like, and I'm not against tattoos, but I'm saying people are like, I'm rebellious. No, you're not. You're like everybody else. Here's what's rebellious. Pray, love your wife, wait to have sex until marriage, mow your freaking lawn. Like work hard, work hard, be excellent at work. That's crazy talk. That's craziness, and yet it's the best life. That's If you want to be rebellious, man, come to Friday night prayer. Come to exchange ministry and help us do some work. Go to CLC Acts. Show up early and like Ben do over here. Do the purple book with somebody. Like, you want to be different? You really want to be called out? Look how different I am. Be a follower of Jesus because he was the most different, so much so the world said, I'm killing that guy. And they did. Yet he rose again, as we sang earlier, to forgive us, to save us, to give us power. Because he's not saying, you work this hard, be this high in order to ride this ride. He's saying, I'm coming to you and I'm going to die for you so that you can live ultimately for me and with power to destroy the works of the enemy. I love, I'm going to close with this. First John 1, 8 through 10 says this. Because some of you are going, man, I've done these things. I've had premarital sex or I've done this or I'm in the middle of this. Listen, it's a call to repentance, not just to feel bad. And here's the promise. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is our culture. Everything's fine. Nobody's bad. Everything's fine. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it didn't say go to Mecca walk on your knees. It says, if you confess our sins because of what Christ has done, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's merely confession of a faith in what Jesus has done as my substitute. He was dying. He died the death I should have died. Thank you, God. Now I'm going to live my life for you. 
hum humility and repentance. I want to show you a video of one of our members, and we'll be wrapping up. I'm going to show you a video of one of our members and their testimony right now. Check this out. We're going to close up, and I just want to pray. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. And um, we're usually done by 12, so we're a little over today. So we always want to be conscious of your time, and thank you for being here. At the same time, we want to you know, just take a moment, just... You know, not as beat up children or, you know, sad or depressed, but really as people going, you know, I, I want to give you everything. I, I want to be free because there's no freedom. No matter how much it's offered outside, there's no freedom apart from Christ. There's no freedom. In fact, Scripture would say, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What that means is where Christ is Lord, made Lord, freedom is there. When he's made Lord, that's true freedom. And that's our appeal. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, that's our appeal. He's amazing. He's loving. He's good and he's for our good. And he's better than anything else you've ever tried or done or tasted. And because not only does he say it, he's demonstrated, he's shown it, he's done it. If you're a believer in here and maybe you have just allowed the dimness and the darkness of the world to slowly get you away from the great light of love and grace and truth and rebuke sometimes. And maybe we need to repent as a church. And that's my call today. God, help us. Change us from the inside out so we have something to offer, not so we're like everybody else. That's the church and a church that Houston, Texas needs. That's the best thing you can do to fight human trafficking is be passionate about Jesus. Best thing you can do to fight lust is to look at him and make him Lord. Father, right now we come before you. I pray for our members, our leaders, God. And Lord, we just repent, God, for not being active enough or not being, honestly, just not loving you enough loving other things Lord for easily succumbing to the pressures and the culture of our world and not to the culture and the love and grace of you Jesus Christ forgive us change us empower us thank you for your swift hand of discipline and of love Lord I pray for those that are here they don't know you, God, that they will want to know you, or they will see not only the value in you, but you giving them value, ultimate value in what you've done for us.